inspiration for Arsenal from Thierry Henry. You're listening to the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's. Well, hello guys, episode 12 of the Robbie Fowler podcast, brought to you by McDonald's McCafe, great tasting coffee, simple, quite remarkable to think that we are on episode 12 already. It's myself, Chris McCarty, Robbie Fowler, alongside myself, as he always is, of course, it is the Bloomin' Robbie Fowler podcast. All right, Rob, how are you, mate? Chris, how are you, pal? Okay? Yeah, good. International <laughs> break, so there's not much to discuss in the world of football. Boring, isn't it? International break. What, are you a big fan of international football, Chris, or... Uh, when Scotland are winning, yes, and Scotland. Well, have had no, a good... then. That means a no. Is that a no then? <laughs> in, re- <laughs> in recent times, let's just say I'm a far bigger fan of international football. But I think at this time of the season, it's the business end. It's squeaky bum time, as Fergie would say. It's a bit. It's a bit of a distraction. Let's be honest. Yeah, I- I'm not a big fan anyway. To be fair, um, I just think the way the, uh, the the current climate is with obviously this this virus and this disease just I mean it's horrible at the minute. So you feel as though it shouldn't really be going on, should it? Because you know there's still various elements of uncertainty in lots of countries, and then yet we've got lots of players travelling all over not all over Europe, all over the world playing various games. So I don't know. I mean I don't know the answer in all honesty, but yeah, should should we still be playing them? I don't know. Mm. Interesting aspect of it as well, Rob. It's three games. It's not your usual two, three matches. And I've noticed a lot of the coaches, they've been mixing and matching. They've been, I guess, rolling the dice somewhat and, and changing up things. Gareth Southgate, I saw his team against San Marino, which you were always expecting England to win that. Well, yeah, Chris, Chris, I'm just going to stop you there. You've, you've just mentioned it yourself. He's mixed and matched the team because he's playing San Marino. Do you think if he was playing France, Spain, he'd be mixed and matching the team? Not a chance. Uh, not a chance. But it's an opportunity, isn't it? It's an opportunity for your Dominic Calvert-Lewins, your Ollie Watkins to stake a claim for that. Yeah, it's an, op- it's an opportunity, but you can more or less guarantee that the next time there's an international against one of the the, the, the not-so-called minnows, um, the, the chance will not be there and they'll go back to tried and tested. Let, let me ask you this, and I don't want to dwell on England too much, but a lot's been made in recent days of, of England's starting eleven, England's squad for the upcoming Euros, about whether Gareth should stick with a back three that served him so well at the World Cup, whether he should revert back to a back four. Have you got any thoughts, Rob? I know international football, not your favourite, but I'm sure you keep one eye on it. Any thoughts as to what Gareth should do with that England team? Well, look, he's a manager who's managed the game uh, long enough now to know what what he feels though his best you know formation is. Now he'll have ideas of uh, three at the back, four at the back. You know, maybe playing uh, one sitter midfield and a four. I mean, I, I do quite like three at the back because obviously I played uh, you know, played in that formation for Liverpool. I actually played it uh, myself over in Australia and um, uh, in India as I uh, me being the manager. When you are, do play that. Uh, formation. The uh, the onus is on having really really good wing backs who can get up and down, who can you know deliver good crosses in, who are, who are not who are not frightened of the ball. So it's important that you get the right players. Now I think one of the problems um, you know the England system have, if you like, is because the players who, who will fill fill in those positions are not necessarily playing them for the club side. So. When he does get together with um, you know, with the, with the, the England squad and the R trader at the various uh, training bases, then you can be sure and you can more or less guarantee that it'll be non-stop you know, educational uh, training sessions for the lads to, to go out there and do that. You've got to have the right players, and the players are still learning the 
still learning the trade, if you like, and, and playing various positions, then um, it, it, it could be a little bit of an headache. And it, it could be maybe a little bit of a, a, a questionable question, if you like, further down the route when you play against the so-called bigger teams who, who will exploit spaces uh, if you've got wing-backs going further up the pitch. You know, these great teams and the great managers and the great players uh, will certainly know how to play against, uh, certainly afraid at the back. I think with a, with a four at the back, with the um, the wing-backs, or not the wing-backs, but the full-backs going forward, bear in mind, if you have a sitter, he can really come back anyway and act as uh, as that third uh Centre half, if you like. So um, it, it's it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine. I know I'm probably on my I horse here, but it's a little bit of a bugbear of mine. Where everyone goes on about formations and tactics and, and various elements of the way you should be playing, but the fact of the matter is, Chris, if you move one player 10, 15 yards, the formation totally changes. Uh, so as long as you have that that belief with the players who, who come into certain roles, uh, know the job, then um, you know formations are. I think they are a thing of the past, in all honesty, because you know we we see in the Premier League quite a lot where where teams uh, or managers give give players certain freedom, if you like, to maybe express themselves. A couple of things on England, and, and again, I don't want to dwell too much, but Harry Kane, someone like Harry Kane, Rob, who's got Alan Shearer's record uh, goal scoring tally uh, in his in his sights, I guess, is is someone like Harry Kane annoyed that he's not getting a start against? A San Marino side who, let's be frank, minnows of international football. You'd expect him to fill his boots against the San Marino. You played that position. Would you be, if you're Harry Kane, annoyed that you're not being unleashed? I was annoyed not playing all the time. Exactly. That's why I never enjoyed my, uh, my England career. Uh, and, and yeah, I think you've just hit the nail on the head that he's a player who has got those, um, those records in the sights. And of course, he wants to play every single time. And there's no doubt about it. He will not come out and say, I'm disappointed, you know, because obviously he's, it means a lot to him to be playing for England. But of course, yeah, he'll be desperate to go and score goals against the so-called weaker nations. Um, he'll be desperate to score goals because he, he wants that record. Um, and look, he, he can say all he wants about, yeah, you know, it's, it's for the team and it, it's this and it's that. You know, he, he wants to play, he wants to score goals and he, he wants to be Harry Kane leading England's goal scorer there's no doubt about that Alan Shearer in the Premier League of course Alan Shearer hunting down from an international perspective and then Wayne Rooney at the top of the England charts got to ask as well about Trent Alexander-Arnold a lot's been made of his omission from this squad I think it's fair to say and I don't think we're saying anything controversial he hasn't been as good as perhaps he was in that title winning campaign for Liverpool but that being said he's a young boy and you know, do you agree with his omission from the England squad? No, no, I don't. In all fairness, and you just said yourself, Chris. Okay, he's not been as good, but you know what? He's not been bad. Uh, and people can make it whatever they want and say about Trent's performances. Uh, he's played in a team who, who have relatively struggled, but he's been okay. You know, at times I think he needs to uh, sort of understand the situation a little bit better. Uh, ironically, it's what I was talking about before with uh, you know, with formations with Trent because he's such a a free-flowing forward type player. Maybe at times he has forgotten his, his defensive duty. So when Liverpool was struggling maybe early in the season, whereas where maybe the, the, the lack of centre-half, Trent was still going forward and he left you know, a, a gaping hole um, you know, and, and left uh, the experienced centre-halves in, in a bit of an awkward position. Uh, but maybe sort of if he understood the role you know, that little bit more, then I think he, we would have probably seen a better Trent Alexander-Arnold. Uh, but look, let, let's be honest, he's still a great player. He's still playing OK. 
okay, he's not reached the heights of what he did and what he can do. We know that. Uh, but there's no doubt about it. He should still be in that England squad. Um, I know what Gareth said was, I think, was wrong. Again, he's a manager. He'll have his, his reasons, not his excuses. He'll have his reasons why Trent uh, has, has been omitted. Um, you know, he's saying he's not playing as well. But, you know, you look at uh, Kieran uh, Trippier. You know, he, he played two games, you know, for uh, Atletico uh, and then he's straight in the squad. So, I mean, how how does he know anything about his form? Um, you know, it's, yeah, it stinks a little bit if I'm being totally honest. But, yeah, uh, Trent will be, he'll be, he'll be upset. But, you know what, it'll make him knuckle down. It'll make him try that a little bit harder because I've seen Trent in training uh, and that boy, honestly, is an absolute winner. He will want to... Uh, to prove everyone wrong and he'll, he'll be doing everything he can to be in that next England squad. This is the Robbie Fowler podcast. Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. Going to part of the international chat. I'm conscious our very special guest will be joining us shortly, Rob. It is episode 12 and it's rather fitting because this fella, for international football anyway, and we've been talking about that for the past 10 minutes, it's a number that he wore for his beloved France. And when we say top shelf names, I mean, my goodness gracious me, Thierry Henry. Not a get that I've got. Of course, that won't surprise many. Another get for you. How the hell have you convinced Thierry to give us an hour? He's football royalty, isn't he? He is. I mean, we've had King Kenny. Uh, why not we'll get um, Prince Thierry or Prince Terry, <laughs> from, uh, as we call him? <laughs> he, is, he is a bona fide legend. I mean, you just look his resume. And I want to get you... Obviously, you played in the same position as Thierry. I mean, just how good... Is he, and let me reframe that a little, is he the best striker that the Premier League has seen? It's it's a great question. It's a great argument. I th- I mean, I love, obviously, strikers who score goals. Uh, and Thierry, obviously, epitomises a, a great goal scorer. But he ticks a box of having really everything. I mean, he scored headers. He, he's quick. He's, he's sharp. He's uh, He can hold the ball up. And we've, we've seen numerous goals uh, where, you know, he, he's, Ball's being played, you know, it's back to his back to the goal. He turns and uh, you know puts into the back of there from ridiculous angles. So he's one of them who's not afraid to to try to try the the unorthodox, if you like. But I mean, what an absolute legend of a of a player he is, and the goals he scored was just phenomenal. Um, is he the best in Premier League? I think. Yeah, the, the argument is there. I mean, Alan Shearer will will probably query that because of the the, the goals he scored, but Thierry is everything that you need to be a great forward. He scores goals, he brings others into play, he's, he's he's selfish, he's not selfish, sorry, he'll do loads of running and he'll help his teammates, uh, but he epitomises a great, great striker. He really is. He, I mean, he's a phenomenal striker, he really is. I don't know you, if you're aware, Robert, but I did admit Thierry into the conversation there, so he heard everything that you've just said about him there. <laughs> Thierry Henry. <laughs> <laughs> Thierry, how are you, pal? Hello, guys. Uh, I'm good. I'm good, guys. Um, first and foremost, I wanted to know how you guys are. Because that's the most important thing with what's happening right now. I hope that you guys are okay and your family too. Thank you very much, Thierry. You know what? We've just said to him about being an absolute fantastic player, right? But what a man as well. That's the first thing he comes on. He comes on and asks how we are, Chris. Brilliant. That tells you everything you know. He's also a legend of a man as well. But Thierry, to answer, I think, well, I'm, I'm certainly fine, mate. All my family are well. Uh, more importantly, mate, how's yours? Good. As you saw, you know, I, I was missing my kids uh, with what was happening with COVID. So I had to come back. It was going to be the same thing. So it's something that you know, Robbie, obviously, as a player, you tend to 
obviously focus on what you need to focus on and and leave the family on the side and the kids on the side because you have to do it and you know it didn't make any sense for me so the family is okay I'm back home. They're happy about it. So, yeah, that's a plus. Yeah, Terry, we will touch on management and there's so much for us to discuss with you over the course of the next hour. Terry, you have been making headlines and, and I just want to commend you on, on what you've said over the last couple of days, Terry. You've taken you've taken a stand and I, I want to just touch on that perhaps first. It's probably only right that we do that. What's the reaction been? Have you been overwhelmed with, I guess, the support from what you've said about you're taking yourself off social media because you're fed up with what's been going on? going on and what's been transpiring over the last not just few months but let's be frank about it the last couple of years L- listen chris i, I uh, yeah a lot of people um talked to me and told me it was uh, amazing uh, but i didn't actually do it for people to tell me how, how amazing it was this is how i felt this is how i feel i've uh, i have kids uh i've seen fellow uh well not a player anymore but athletes uh that got abused about you know, color of the skin or what they believe in, or it can be a religion at time. You know, as much as I do, I'm sure you guys have kids that people are getting bullied out there. Uh, it's so weird sometimes. You can have a discussion with someone. I give an example, for example, my daughter. She can have a discussion with a friend. But if that friend doesn't communicate with her on social media, she takes it the wrong way. And I was like, but you just spoke to your friend. Why does it have to be on social media? Like, if he doesn't, she doesn't answer to my daughter on social media. My, my daughter is like, oh, what's wrong? You know, so you, there is uh, so, some pressure on it. It is a great tool. Don't get me wrong. You can have a connection, whoever loves you, that people use as a weapon. If you get abused online, it's already difficult because we tend to concentrate right on the always. Like if 2 million people say something nice about you and there is only one that says something bad, for some reason, we concentrate on that one. We, let's all be honest, we do. As a grown-up, it's already difficult to, to, to deal with that. But just imagine if you're a kid. Listen, it is a great tool. I will be back. But when is going to be a safer place to be back on? You know, if you take the, the racism problem, you, you, you look, Robbie, you know, John Barnes is a legend. I heard his, what he used to go through, and not only him, but, you know, we all saw that picture, obviously, of the banana in the field. And so I grew up with that, the same in France. And I, what he used to say then, is the same now, but it moved on on social media. What you're saying is absolutely spot on, and everyone does need to be held accountable. The, the powers that be and the people who run these social media channels, have they got to have some sort of, um, I don't know, maybe put your, your passport, say exactly who you are, to maybe get your mark on, on these channels, just so everyone knows that if, if there is, if there is uh, bullying, if there is racial tensions out there, we know exactly who they are. Robbie, listen, uh, this is what I meant. If you want to know who is, who is on there, and you can copy everything, people duplicate passport, people duplicate this and duplicate that, but you know, we're talking about in general, right? You can put your NHS number, you can put your national uh, uh, insurance number, then you can find out who the person is, and then you can have consequences on what's happening. You, you're not going to control everything in life, but can we have uh, uh, consequences about what someone has done and find out who it is? Because if you take what happened with Glenn Camara the other day, and I and I actually trained, well trained a bit Glenn Camara because I was with the with Arsenal there, so I came across uh, um, the guy is a lovely man. That was out of character his reaction. So something must have been said that obviously now it's his word against the word of the of, of the player. This is my point. You're asking me, Robbie. You're asking John Bounds. You're asking Viv Anderson. You're asking Saul Campbell. You're asking anyone 
that have suffered of it, right? We're all gonna tell you the same thing and what should be done and what we would like to be done. But the only people that can answer really to you is the people in charge. So when, after the game, I saw a lot of people sending cameras at Ibrox and a lot of people sending cameras at the, uh, at the hotel or where they were staying, uh, Slavia Pride, to try to find out what happened. Okay, cool. Why don't you send cameras at the UEFA offices and wait for someone to come out and see what they're going to say about it? Because they have to talk. Not the statement that we all know. I can put a statement. You can put a statement, Robbie, and say exactly what you're supposed to say and how it's going to look and how great it's going to look. But I want to know what's going to be done. People were talking the other day about kneeling or standing. The debate is about kneeling or standing. But the debate is not about kneeling or standing. It's about the cause. Let's not focus on the kneeling or standing. The kneeling is a powerful thing that's been happening for a very long time. And it's a peaceful thing in order for things to change. So however you want to feel about it, obviously, because now people want to stand and want to kneel. But the debate shouldn't be on kneeling or standing. What is going to happen? Forget about debating about kneeling or standing. Let's focus on what's going to happen. And I didn't see really anything happening. Yeah, I think Thierry, I think you've just absolutely nailed it there. So obviously the, the, the debate between kneeling and standing now, and, and it will it will get brought up again. But we, we, did, we do need an end game. So we need to say that the powers that be, who they need to come out and say, well, listen, this is what's happening. Uh, you've just mentioned Glenn Kamara. Um, obviously, I, I spoke to Stephen, uh, Stephen Gerrard, uh, a couple of days after the incident, and he said he's the most placid guy you will ever meet in your life. He's a lovely lad, and he doesn't deserve any of this. So I know what you're saying there about his word against um, player for player, it's their word. I unfortunately don't think you'll ever get to the bottom of it because if, if, if racial tensions have been said or racial words have been spoken, he's not going to come out and admit it now. Uh, but you could, you could sense by the, the players' reactions. So obviously something, something ridiculous has been said, something horrible is it, and unfortunately we will never ever get to the bottom of it unless these people and the powers that be sort of sit down, sit down and find out, right, what shall we do to these people who are who are who are being racist? The kneeling and the uh, and the, the standing or this debate, okay, I, I get it and it's valid. But you know what? We still need to find out why we're doing it and why this needs to stop. Listen, all you do is you raise awareness, and uh, people have been doing that for a long time, making people aware of what's happening. I, I, I hear a lot of people around me, dads moms, uh, anywhere that knows someone that suffered from getting bullied on Instagram or on Twitter or wherever. And sometimes it goes further than people having mental issues because, you know, they, 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 they commit suicide because of it and not being well. So are we all the time going to talk about it and it's going to be a topic for whatever issue it can be, racism, it can be bullying, it can be harassment, whatever it can be that sometimes you can see on this platform. Are we just going to talk about it? Look, Glenn Camara, I agree with you. It's going to be very, I know, I know Glenn. I will always side with him because I know the man is, but it's going to be difficult to, to, if we talk about the law now, it's going to be difficult to be, to be, to be proven and what, what has been said. And we all know that what the, the problem that we have in our society, you will get it in football because it's the closest games the biggest game you know what i mean so it's going to be you're going to find it in the game 
change needs to happen. We're all in agreement with that. And, and absolutely, you're right, Thierry. You're, you're not in a position to evoke that change. The, the powers that be, and we have talked about it long enough now. As you say, the kneeling gesture has been one to put out there. We need action now for the things that have happened. And I'm not going to sit here and you cannot defend bullying, racism. There is no defence for any of that. Looking through your career, and I want to bring it back to what you lived through during your playing career and what you've perhaps gone through now in, in management, Thierry. Dealing with criticism, I'm not going to sit here and say dealing with racism, dealing with criticism, dealing with adversity in your career. There might be a lot of youngsters, a lot of adults, mental health important in all of this, that are watching and listening to this. What tools did you use in order to kind of quiet the naysayers, silence the naysayers, get through criticism? What was the key learnings that that you took away from a career that has now moved into management that I appreciate is still going on, but in your playing career? Well, Chris, listen, my uh, football helped a lot. And I'm sure Robbie will tell you football helps a lot because you can focus on something that you, you know if someone's trying to take you out of your game, you know by scoring a goal, you can silence them, right? And you showing that is not going to affect you by still playing well and being good and being above it. And sometimes I will use the word cocky, but yeah, being cocky about it, having that little look. What are you going to do about it? You can shout, you can do whatever. You're not going to disturb me. I'm better than this and I'll show you. Now, when you cannot shut people down or shut them up, sorry to say, with what you can do physically uh, being on the field, it has to become something that's going to be mentally strong uh, or you have to be mentally strong or whoever the message has to be a bit exactly with what's been happening in me stepping out of social media to try to make, a, you know, an example out of it uh, on what, I, what I'm feeling. But when you're a player, it's easier to do because you can shut people down and on what they're saying uh, in the stand. Um, one thing that I, I, can, I, I kind of understood now and grew into it is that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to show emotions. The emotion that we used to like to show when we were players, and Robbie will tell you, is the being upset one, you know, the rage one, you know, you know, Robbie, you, you know, when you're in a dressing room, you can't, you can't say that I'm scared or you can't say that I'm weak or you can't say that hurt me or you can't say, you know, I'm being abused, you know, it's okay, I'll, I'll be fine, you know, and usually your teammates are okay, go like, oh, don't, don't, don't waste your time, but actually it's not about wasting time on the way, say, hey, it hurts. I can say it now because I stopped playing and I, and I see it clear, I mean, a tiny bit more it's a bit more clear for me because I grew up, I grew up with shut up and play. You know, whatever it is, shut up and play. You're injured? No, you're not injured. You, you're, you're sick? I'm not sick. I was never going to arrive in a dressing room to say I'm not well because I've been abused or I'm not well because I'm sick or my calf is hurting. You're waiting for your calf to, to you're waiting to pull it before you step out of the field. You know, I grew up with, I'm not playing. I'm not going to knock on the door of the manager and say, why am I not playing? You shut up and you play and you figure it out and you find a way. That was the only thing I knew. Was it right? Now that I think about it, no, but that's how it was. So you adapt to it. But now things have changed. People are more equipped. Now you can talk about mental health issues. You can talk about being scared before a game. That doesn't mean you're not going, you're not going to play well. But now you can talk about it. Like I had players saying, talking to me about their personal life and telling me stuff before a game. I still played them. 
back in the days, if you arrive and, and, and you show weaknesses in a dressing room, it was a bit difficult. So things have changed. So you can, there is more dialogue now between the coach and the player. There is more of a, an understanding with that. And actually a coach now, and I, I told my player, like, be open with me because it's important. If you have a problem mentally, let me know because we need to support you. You can't go through it alone. But when we were players, Robbie, you had to figure it out alone. When we were playing, it was deemed a weakness. So, you, I mean, you've just mentioned it yourself. So you, you, you as a manager you will say to your players, look, any problems, come and see me. Now, there's no doubt that you will be hands-on with a psychologist. That, you know, most clubs now will have a psychologist. Certainly when I was sort of growing up and getting into the team and uh, you, you mentioned yourself about, you know, you'll go on a pitch and um, how you dealt with criticism. It was just a case of, I'll go out and show you. I did that a few times. I went out and showed people. Um, and I mean, you, I'm sure you remember the celebration I did against Everton. Do I? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I did that because of the amount of abuse I took over the years. And when I do that, then straight away, I mean, that was just a case of me. I'm getting my own back for yous. Uh, but when I do that, the, the, the relevant bodies come down hard on me because I'm getting absolutely crucified for years. And then I'm the one who gets the, the big fine and the ban because I'm, I'm trying to alienate something that was, that was false to me. So that was, that was my way of doing it. And it sort of backfired on me. And even to this day, I still get stick over it, in all fairness. Uh, but what, what I'm saying to you is, so when players now I mean we we never had the psychologist so you know we had to go and sort of deal with it ourselves and and that was my way of dealing with it I'm, I'm going to show you but nowadays players have so many helping hands if you like to uh, to help them get through any adverse effects any any criticism or or anything uh, negative towards their career but listen Robbie and rightly so by the way rightly so rightly so but I, I'm going to share something with you when I saw that celebration because I was on that side of the line and understanding what you were going through, I was like, damn right, well done. You know, I was like, well done. You're letting people them, you're letting them know, first and, first and foremost, in our old way, this is not going to affect me, which actually was affecting you because you wouldn't have done that. But I was your way to say enough, enough. It was your way of crying and screaming. Sorry to say that. I'm just putting it into words. But you got punished. Yeah, this is what I was like. That's crazy. I, I can't. I can't even love you anymore. <laughs> no, it's true. I Listen, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. And and you know that. Listen, I'm. I'm as you as you can see. I'm trying to be as honest as I can be, and and I'm not the best person in the world because I have my flaws. We all seen. We all seen in a different way. So I'm no one to judge anyone. This is what I. One of the things I go by. You know, I struggle. You struggle. We all about our struggles, but. When you reach me, first and foremost, I have, I have so much admiration for you. I said it, you can ask, I have discussions sometimes with Jamie Carragher and the player that you were and where you're coming from, what you had to go through, uh, uh, the way you were playing, one of the best finishers I've ever seen in my life and what you did and what you stood for and what you represent for me is very important. This is why it was a no-brainer for me to come and talk to you because that you, 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 there's something with you. It's not only so, so much about the game. I always say to people, people like players because of what they transcend. It's not so, so much about what you want and who you, it's what you transcend and what, what impact you add on people. And I remember that celebration because I laughed, you know, fairness, like everybody at the very beginning, because it was funny. Uh, however you want to see it, 
But for me, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell them you had enough. You had enough. And it won't change you. You will still score, you know, and then you got punished. People need to understand what, what was actually, what you were showing in between the line. You were in your way showing that you were hurt, that you were crying and screaming, but you will still perform. So it doesn't matter. But anyway, anyhow, it's a, it's a, it's a different topic. But to go back to you, Chris, be vulnerable. Talk about your problem. It is not a weakness. It is actually a strength to be able to share it and show weaknesses. But we were not, I wasn't born, I wasn't, let me put, let me, let me, let me put it this way. The way I've been educated is not so much on for the world that I live on now. So I need to re-educate myself. The players, the players right now are re-educating me and my kids are re-educating me. Because what I knew is not true anymore. It is not it. Is not it. And you need to readdress and adapt, put your ego on the side, have so much humility to be able to understand what's in front of you because I need to relearn about the world because the world that I knew and how I grew up is not the same. The codes, the codes, sorry, that I knew are not the same anymore. So, you know, I can't say to a player, shut up and play. It's impossible. In my time, it was okay. It was all right. You need to, you need to relearn and readapt yourself, put your ego on the side in order to understand. And I, Robbie knows that. You arrive in a dressing room, you have to make sure you impress the senior players. I don't know how, but it's on you. Now, I always say, Robbie, oh, you know what? I'm going to love to be a senior player or, or old guy. So, you know, the new generation is going to have to meet me. And now it's the total opposite. You, you, the senior player, you, the old guy, and you still have to go and meet the new generation because your codes are not their codes anymore. And you need to understand that. It's not easy. Understand me well, it is not easy because once something shaped you, for you to deprogram yourself, to be able to reprogram yourself and understand what they're about, you have at times to, uh, to, to you know, sometimes I speak to my daughter and I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, because I'm, I'm thinking about how I grew up, but you need to adapt to them. That, that's a, that's, that is one of the, the tools that is very important when you, when you coach right now. But to go back, to what you said, Chris, I know I speak a lot where we have an hour, but <laughs> it's, it's for you. It's good to be vulnerable. It's good to show your weakness. Uh, and it, it, it makes you feel better. It, it does make you feel better. Honesty. You've used that word, Thierry. It's about being honest to yourself and it's about being honest to, to those that, that follow you closely. And, and you were very honest quite recently in actual fact where you admitted to... You know, the, the fact, and, and we go back to it, it's a topic I'm sure you've spoken about numerous times, the, the incident against Ireland back in 2009, whereby the first time of, in your career, you were the bad guy. Obviously Spurs fans, Man United fans, but huge respect for you, irrespective of you scoring goals. But for the first time, you were universally seen by a, a lot of fractions as the bad guy. Looking back on that 12 years ago, Thierry, how has time kind of made you look back on that particular incident and would you have dealt with it any way differently now knowing what you know 12 years on? No, I think you go, you go through a moment in life that shapes you. You can't, you can't, this is what shaped you. Whatever happened in your life, you can't go back and say, I would have done this, I would, then I wouldn't have been the same person. You know, it is what it is. And I said it at the time, it was a bad, you know, but Robbie is there. He will remember Stefan and show and bowling the ball on the line when we played in the final. By the way, they got the, they got the goal kick. Not only they got a goal kick and Ancho put his, his arm out to save the ball. 
That's what you do as a player. Sorry, you have, a, you have that bad reaction, that bad moment that you extend your arm. I didn't think about it. It happened. Was, 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 I, was, I, was I proud of it? No, I wasn't proud of it. It happened. The resident blew the whistle. I wasn't proud of it. I'm not, still not proud of it. But things happen in the game. Like I said to you, lost the FA Cup final against, against Liverpool that night. Nobody remembers that Anshoff handballed the ball on the line, pretended to go with his head and push it with his, with, with his end. I didn't hear anyone crying for Arsenal at the end of the game. Me, Liverpool, scored two goals at the end, two goals of Michael Owen. I didn't hear a pip about the handball of Anshoff. Regardless of what happened, it is what it is. It's something that happened in the game. It's a game of football. This is where the game of football goes really far. After, with all the abuse that I got, whether I deserve it or I didn't deserve it, it's still something that happened on the football pitch. Maradona, Lionel Messi scored a goal like that against Espanyol Barcelona with his end. He scored it. I didn't hear anyone killing Lionel Messi. Anyway, anyhow, it happened to me. I had to take it. I took it. But was I proud of it? No. Uh, did you, I nearly didn't even go to the World Cup. Little you know, uh, they, 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 a lot of stuff happened. It became a, a political problem. Uh, uh, ministers, talk, prime ministers talking about it, the uh, president talking about it. I was like, oh, but when I'm going to did I kill someone? You know, some people were praised. When Lionel Messi scored that goal against uh, Espanol Barcelona, I think it was, they said, oh my God, he's getting closer to Maradona. What a genius. I was the devil. It's okay. I accepted it. I explained to you, uh, am I proud of it? No. Do I, do I get abused by the Irish fans sometimes? Yes, I do. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's hard to take because this is not the type of player I am. But you can't, you can't when you have an, 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 a bad instinct, a reaction is difficult to explain. I can't explain it because it happens. Um, but this is where it becomes difficult. And I'm not saying that for people to go, oh, my God, you know, no. But then after that, the abuse that I got, I received letters, death threats. My daughter had to go to school with, with a bodyguard for two weeks because I was scared. We know where you live. I was in Barcelona, don't get me wrong, but my daughter was still here. And then I'm not trying to make it sound better than what it is because it happened. But Robbie will tell you the impact that he has on your family sometimes, this is where it becomes difficult. Because on something that I didn't think about doing, it was an instinct reaction, a bad instinct reaction that players do often when they're in and around the ball. And I'm sure, Robbie, you must have done it. When, you, when that ball is here, you extend your arm and it comes out. It's a, it's, I'm not saying it's right at all, but it comes out. Um, but after, I'll be honest with you, it was hard. It was hard because because you're receiving stuff like that uh, at, 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 at my ex's wife, and 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 because I got scared, I put a, a bodyguard for my daughter. I never shared that, but you know, I'm sharing it now. Understand me well, please. Understand me well. I'm not saying this to make what happened better or not better. It has nothing to do with anything. But that was hard. This is the, the stuff that sometimes that people do not understand. You don't want to receive death threats. You don't want to receive uh, whatever. You don't want uh, your daughter to be targeted. You don't want. Uh, you don't want that. But it was, and you know, you know, you know, you went away, and I can, I can joke about it now. It's a bit better. Uh, you know, I digested it. Um, but yeah, 
you know, you can't go through a career of 20 years without without a little problem. Of course, yeah. Thierry, just obviously, again, change, a little bit of a change of subject because obviously that is, uh, I mean, what you're saying is spot on. It is purely instinctive and uh, sometimes you, your mind, as, as a, certainly as a striker, you don't really know what's happening and it just it just happens and it is that instinct but just takes over. Uh, but look, I think you've, you've addressed it well, you've spoke well and, um, I mean, as you always do, um, and, and look, Let's draw the line under that, I think, obviously, and, and maybe look at something else. Can, can we start, obviously, we don't want to delve into your early part of your career because, obviously, we started at Monaco. Uh, I know you, one of your favourite players was Sonny Anderson, who, uh, who who was maybe instrumental in, in a lot of the good that you've done, the way you played, the way the, the, the time of your runs, the way you know you finished. Was he was he one of the, the main players you looked up to? Yes, yes, but probably is, there is a... There, for me... So Sonny, Sonny, Sonny taught me something that was, it was the only player that I've seen doing that at ease and at the speed that he was doing it. Sonny Anderson used to, so if you're on that side of him, he will always push the ball with his left foot, full speed. And if you're on the other side, you know how he goes, he passes you that way, he goes there, then he goes and he shifts the ball on the other side. And I looked at him, I said, how do you do that at that speed? Because you know that's hard to be able to shift the ball full speed with going between people and knowing that I need to shift it there and I have to put it there. So I started to try to do that. I never quite mastered, mastered it like he used to because he was amazing at that. But Sonny was, was an example for me in terms of, of his work ethic and training. He always wanted to do more. And also the socks above the knees. That's him. You know, I got abused so much about my socks above <laughs> my knees and what I used to hear in the stand and and sometimes on programs notes and 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 the pale the pale uh, uh, the pale blue gloves and the short sleeve that didn't go down too well or so. But uh, I was me. That was me. But Sonny Anderson obviously was a big guy. But but there is there is there is um you know I grew up with Maradona. The first World Cup that I saw was '86. Uh, and Maradona was just Maradona. I've never seen a guy. You can't say that he won it on his own because because you need a team, a solid team, and they were they were defensively sound and robust and whatever. But for me, he won that World Cup alone. You know, he went to Napoli. He met Napoli. I'm not saying alone, but before he arrived, Napoli didn't win anything, and since he left, Napoli didn't win anything. So that doesn't that doesn't happen often that a player, a big player, leaves a big club, and the, and the big club doesn't win. Maradona made things happen. For me, anyway, anyhow, but I grew up with Van Basten. Van Basten is the guy that actually I wanted to emulate because he had so much, so much class. He could do everything. But there was one thing that made me understand the game, Robbie. Uh, Germany scored a goal. Uh, no, sorry. Holland scored a goal against Germany, actually, at the Euro 92. He's in the box with one player. Aaron Winter gets the ball on the side. They go on the counter. And he made the run to move that strike, that defender away to free Dennis Bergkamp for a header. But when he moved, he pointed already at Dennis Bergkamp while he was moving. He knew what he was doing. That spoke to me because that, that was almost a non... Strikers were not doing that. If you were at that moment, in, at that penalty spot, you're trying to lose your man for the cross and you, he moved away out of the frame of the goal to free Dennis Bergkamp. And I was like, wow. You know, all the time people talk about Marco van Basten as a goal scorer, that he's greedy, that he will always shoot in any position. But then nobody mentioned that. But that spoke to me watching the game. And so I was like, okay, so you can do other stuff as a striker. You can also 
move forward that was so clear because he actually pointed that Dennis Bergkamp behind him on the cross of Aaron Winter. And then I will mention George Weah, I will mention Romario, and I will mention Ronaldo Il Fenomeno, the Brazilian Ronaldo. Why? Because suddenly when I was young, that wasn't my game. I was a nine, but I wasn't my game to stay in and around the centre-backs and, and the frame of the goal in between the two posts. That wasn't my game, right? I was like, okay, you know, you, you I, I, I didn't feel comfortable, basically. You could see my weaknesses instead of, say, of seeing my strong point. But you know how it is, um, Robbie, you have coaches that always tell you, now, if you move out of the frame of the goal, if you don't stay in the middle, you will never score goals. And I, I was fighting, I was fight, I was fighting my natural instinct because that wasn't me. But when I saw those three guys stepping out of the box, going and get the ball on the right, on the left, beating people and scoring goals, I used to go back and, and talk to my coaches and go like, you see, you, you don't have to stay because I had the proof that you don't have to stay there. But then after Robbie, you have to back it up. Yeah. Because if you step out of the box and you also don't score, you look a bit stupid. So that's where my mind was when I, you know, I said to myself, I'm going to try to be that type of players. And then when I arrived in the Premier League also, I started to understand because of my days playing as a winger, that sharing is very key. I don't know if I didn't play as a winger that I would have understood uh, uh, that like that. Because when you play as a winger and you go up and down with your right back the whole game, people do not understand how hard that is. You go up and down and then you have to, you go up and down, okay, up and down. And at one point they drop you the ball, you're in a 1v1 situation. Meanwhile, that's four times that you went up and down. And people are like, oh, can you cross the ball better? I'm out of breath. I'm, I'm, the guy is pushing me. I'm, try, I'm, I'm on my left foot, breaking my neck. To, and then people don't consider that. They're like, oh, he should cross better. Yes, he should cross better, but he went up and down four times. I invite anyone now to do a box to box to box to box to box to box. <laughs> I drop the ball, do a 1v1 now and cross the ball well. <laughs> it's not easy. And then when I was there on the side, I realized that you don't get any credit. You know, you, you, it's the striker that scored that gets the headline. And although he missed 20 billion controls, five 1v1, you score the winner, you, you, you're the hero. And the, and the winger on the side that just crossed the ball 98 minute, uh, uh, 89th minute, sorry, or 95th or whatever it is in, in extra time now, you cross the ball back, he scored a tapping, tapping, and the day after is wow, he scored his 20th goal of the season. There were 80 tappings by the guy that crossed the ball, and he doesn't get any credit. So I, I, in my mind, I was like, I need to find a way to do both. I need to find a way to do both because. It's important to score goals because that's your job, but it's important also to share because those guys are running for you to allow you to do your job. So you have to share. I wonder, Thierry, and I'm sure you've seen the comments. I think it was Paul Scholes who, who's on this podcast a few weeks back, but he admitted quite recently that Ruud van Nistelrooy, who was for a long time in the Premier League your arch rival for the Golden Boot, that he had such a bloody mindedness, such a single mindedness on everything that he did. The first thing he did on the coach was to check if Thierry Henry, to check if you had scored, because he was obsessed with goals, stats, being the very best being at the top of the charts. Did you do that? Did you care what Rude did? Yes, I did because it's normal. You're battling against someone. If you don't, I will be lying to tell you that it didn't affect me. But it didn't dictate me. It didn't dictate my game. 
I knew what I had to do for my team. I wasn't going to shoot in every angle just for the sake of, of beating Rude. And he was a hell of a player, don't get me wrong. The most important thing is I always say, we have to score, I don't have to score. More often than not, it will be me. But the team has to score, not me. We have to win, not me. You know, I, you, you look at it, I didn't score a lot of goals in my career at Arsenal and we lost the game. You know, those goals, I, I'm taking them, don't get away, don't take them away from me. But those goals don't score for me. They didn't, they, 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 didn't, they didn't mean anything for me. The goal that I scored and we lost, that didn't mean anything for me. Like I wasn't going to, oh, you know what? I've done my job. Uh, we lost three, two, scored two goals. I don't care. No, I cared. I cared because I didn't do enough. And that's how, that's how you should feel as an individual. So yes, did I look at if my new scored? Yes. Did I look at if Man United win? Yes. You know, it's the same thing. It's not, it's not, it's not always individual. Did I look? We were battling against them. Obviously, I'm looking at what Man United did after the game. Then I'm battling with Rudolf Viserroy. I'm looking. And at the time, people didn't care too much about assist. So I wasn't looking at who is making assists or not. It became a thing recently. In the past four or five years, everyone is showing assist, goal involvement, and this and that, which we all know that the ball, a good ball is important in the game because if not, we're not going anywhere. But yes, I did look at it, but that wasn't going to dictate the person and the player I was going to be. Thierry, just go back to, obviously, uh, when you left Monaco, obviously, you ended, you ended up eventually at Juventus. And I mean, I'm not sure whether how you deal with this, but a lot of people say, oh, you had a real tough time at Juventus. Um, it probably wasn't the best experience of you because you never scored as many goals as you would have liked. I'm not saying you never score goals, but your record at Juventus in terms of, I think you went over there in the January, but didn't you, towards the end of the season, you played or you played in every game, didn't you? So is that a little bit of a myth that people say that you didn't enjoy Juventus or was it because obviously the, the system that they played? It is a massive myth. And I'm not saying that, uh, for example, I struggled at Arsenal more than I struggled at Juventus when I first arrived. And people don't mention that because they saw the end of the story. I struggled at Arsenal. People don't remember Middlesbrough, 5-1, November. I didn't come on. I wasn't coming on November. I wasn't coming on anymore at Arsenal my first year. Juve, I played as a starter every time on the Ancelotti. But I was playing in a three, five, two. So you're the fourth defender, you're the fifth midfielder, and you're the third striker. So uh, that was a bit new for me. But at the end of the very day, I was adapt adapt adapting to it, and I was playing very well at the, towards the end of the season. And by the way, remember when I arrived, UV was ninth in the league. They were getting there was that that thing that Zenek uh, Zeman was saying that some of the UV players were 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 whatever he was saying or using whatever, no, not a loud substance or whatever he was saying. I'm not going involved in that, but the, the club was suffering. And yes, the club was suffering, but slowly but surely I was getting better. People know in, in Italy why I left. I left because of Moji. Yeah. This is it. This is why I left Juve because if not, I would have still be in Juve because I was, I was playing always a starter. The only time I didn't play under Ancelotti is against Man United and Olympiacos because I was cup tied in the Champions League. That is it. If not, you would have seen me against Man United. So, so had Moji had, had Moji not forced you out, Thierry? I mean, you've said it there. It didn't. It didn't force me out. 
I forced myself out. Okay. Had it not been for Moji, then you would have you would have stayed in Italy, Arsenal. We might not be sitting here talking about Thierry Henry with 228 goals for Arsenal. No, I don't think so. I don't know what I, I cannot tell you what would have happened the year after, but surely not that year because I was going to stay at Juve. But you know, some somehow the way the way that person was Moji and the way he used to deal with players, you know, uh, for me is one thing that I that I, that I like is respect. And don't get me wrong, I had an amazing time at Juve. Juve is an amazing club, but that guy didn't treat me well. And so when my heart is gone, bye. And then you rock up at Arsenal. Did anyone else come in for you, Thierry? Uh, I may as well tell you now. Robbie, Robbie will tell our guest at the end. I'll tell you midway through this chat. Big United fan as I am, as you can hear the Mancunian accent. Did Fergie, please tell me Fergie gave you a call. I will, I will be honest with you. I remember at the time that I said I wanted to leave Juve for the reason that I explained. I didn't go into details because you need another hour for that one. Uh, I said I wanted to go to Arsenal because I met the boss actually after my last game uh, playing for Juventus. I explained to him the situation and I said to him, I want to come to Arsenal. It took a long time because that was in May and I only signed in August. So it took a long time. But I wasn't going to, I wasn't willing to listen to any other offers, nothing. I wanted to go to Arsenal. First and foremost, because Nicolas Anelka, Emmanuel Petit, and Patrick Vera were talking so highly about, about, about Arsenal. And the boss started my career at Monaco, so I wanted to work with him again. And I just wanted to play for Arsenal because of what the French guys were saying. And, and the Premier League, Premiership at the time, was an attractive, attractive league. When you see the likes of uh, Robbie, see the likes of Shira, you see the likes of Matt Letizia, Ian Wright, you know, Alan Smith, Kevin Campbell, all those guys, you know, you like, you, you know, callers, fans, you were allowed to jump in the stand and, it's, you know, it was just nice. The explosion of goals, the, the songs. So anyone could have come at that, at that time. I was always going to go to Arsenal, no matter what. Thierry, I think it's it's well, it's I think it's safe to say I think you had obviously a, a great career in terms of what you what you stood for, the goals you scored, the trophies you won. Was winning the treble at Barcelona probably the highlight, or would it have been the the invincible season? Would that Ooh. would that be the better one? Do you think? And as an Arsenal man, as you know, Arsenal is Arsenal for me, and, and everyone will tell me, ah, oh, you left. Doesn't matter, you know. In my heart, I'll always be Arsenal, wherever I am till I die, my grave it will be still Arsenal, so it won't change. So for me, you know, I, I, let's put it this way, for you for you guys to understand, because I always get, oh, I can't, can't believe he said that, he didn't say Arsenal, and I can't believe, I thought he was an Arsenal man, I'm an Arsenal man, and I will die an Arsenal man. For me, it's the same. When you talk about basketball, you don't talk about Jordan, because Jordan is alone. For me, understand me well, when you talk about basketball, I do not mention Jordan because Jordan is alone. So Arsenal, alone. Do, do you understand what I mean? Like, do yeah. not even alone. Now, we can talk about the treble. The treble. Oh, listen, uh, Robbie, this is, this is not about winning the treble. This is not about uh, winning these uh, goals you scored. And For me, it's what you transcend and what people talk about. When people used to see me in the street or see me in the street, they were talking about how we were playing and how much they were going to always stop what they were doing to watch us play. Same Arsenal, by the way. Same Arsenal. So many times people are like, you know what, I don't like you guys, but you are enjoyable to watch. 
This is where you know you've done something, not so much about winning and winning matters. There's something that will go above winning for me is what do you transcend? What do you give to people? Robbie, you're the same. And I know you're going to be modest and humble about it. You're the same. You're the same. That's why people love you. That's why people love you at Liverpool because they could relate. They could see when you were upset. They could see when you were happy. There was no, and they could see you gave your all for your team, winning or losing. They can relate to that. They don't care about the rest. They want to see you play 100%. That's all they want to see. And the same with Barcelona. We did it in a certain way that people will always remember that you have other teams that want maybe more or, or a different way, but sometimes they don't stay in your head. But when you play a certain way and you are a certain way, however you want, you, you, you transcend something, you transmit something. People are, it's, I cannot explain it to you. You know, you know exactly what I mean. You know, that's why you have that connection with the Liverpool fans. That's why you always be a, a, a legend. Even, even, I'm not having a go here, Robbie, but some guys maybe were better than you after, but they didn't have that. They don't have that. So this is why, for me, we can talk about staying invincible also. Invincible, staying invincible, this is ridiculous. Really, Thierry, just go back to that. Obviously, the, the invincible year. I know it's. Um, I mean, it's a phenomenal achievement. It really is in terms of what what you've done in the Premier League. But when in the season did you start to believe you you as a player, as as an individual, and 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 your team start believing that you could go every game without getting beat? Myself, I don't know. I can't speak to everybody because you're not in. I can't, you know, what they were thinking at the time, all the time. I don't re- always know, but um, I didn't think about it. Probably what you want is to be champion. It doesn't matter how you do it. Yeah. You want to do it in style because it's how we were playing and, and, and whatnot, but you want to be champion. You don't care about how, how, when, if it's going to be a pretty title or not a pretty title. You don't care. Then when you we clinched, we, we clinched the title at Tottenham, you start to realize that, Okay, yeah, we can stand beaten, but you're not really understanding what it means. And I have to thank Arsene for that because he was like, guys, please push those last push through those last few games because you're about to do something that will go down in the history. And we were like, you know, Robbie, we can be in the dressing room. What is he talking about, this guy? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, we're champion. Why there is a big tournament at the end of the season? Let me recover, you know, and so on. We went through those games. They were horrible. They were horrible. They were my worst game that I played for Arsenal. They're, they're, you, you watch them, you will switch them off. But we, we managed to stay unbeaten. Uh, but we didn't really, I didn't personally really understand what it was happening. But there was one game that I thought that we could blew it. I didn't think in any other game that we could. But one game I thought we could blew it. And it's Liverpool at home. I'll tell you why. Because... Uh, people don't remember. A lot of people are talking about playing a lot of games and repetition, but in my time, it was the same. We were playing a lot of games, going to the national team. I didn't hear anyone saying, oh, he must be tired from the season uh, and the Euro is coming. No, you play. And when you were not playing well, there was no, he must be tired. There's no being tired. And I remember playing four games in eight, in eight days. We played Chelsea twice in the Champions League. Man United at Villa. I didn't even play, by the way. I was so upset. And Villa and uh, Paul Scholes scored. I think we lost against uh, Man United. The semi-final, yeah. People don't remember that. They, the FA never wanted to rearrange the game for us. We played four games yeah. in eight days. 
And then Friday, I think it was, uh, I think it was a Friday, we played Liverpool at home on the back of those three games. Obviously, first minute, uh, Sami Hupia scores. Then we level it. Then CVG, as always, gives a great pass to Michael Owen, and, and Owen makes it 2-1. You know when you, the stadium, at that moment, stop breathing. Because they were like, okay, we lost against Man United. We just lost in the Champions League. Are we going to also now lose the title? I mean, you know, are we going to do that? Because after that, we had to go soon at the lane. And you know how people can be, oh my, anyway. We came back, Robert Perez scored, and, and, and then we made it 4-2. But at that moment, I was like, no, not now, you know, not, no, 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 no. I don't, I, it's crazy the way I think about it. I didn't think about staying unbeaten so much, but there was a game when I thought we, we were not going to do it. Not so much that we were going to do it, but we were not going to do it. I know it's, it's the same thing, but it's not the same emotion, not the same feeling. Thierry, you, you just said there, so all, all year it was just all about being champions, but was the season actually, and don't take this the wrong way, but was it a little bit bittersweet because obviously you won the league, you got to the semi-finals of the League Cup, semi-finals of the FA Cup, and all, was it the semi-finals of the Champions League, I think? So, I mean, you, you, I, I, sorry, quarters. So you, you lost to Chelsea in the Champions League. I think you lost to uh, Middlesbrough in the League Cup and Manchester United in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. Could, should, could have you and should have you achieved more or was it because of the, the fixture congestion that, that maybe hindered you a little bit? No, I, I would not be on any, any excuses. Uh, we should have done more. Thierry, Thierry, we we never use excuses. No, we yeah, use no, reasons. I all reasons. <laughs> I, I totally agree. But no, we should we should have done more. And this is, you know, it's it, that's me. That was always my way. We should have done more. But we are a team. Chelsea wanted to beat us. That was the first time that I think they beat us in in eight to nine years or something like that. The day uh, Bridge scored that goal. Uh, Middlesbrough, I don't know who played because the boss wasn't really putting the full team in the in the in, at the time in the in the in the league cup. We were not put, putting the full the, the full squad. Um, and then Man United it was very difficult for me to sit on the bench and watch that that, that game because uh, they had their full squad on and we didn't. But as you said, we had to. We, the boss felt that like he, he had to juggle a bit. And we collapsed in the, uh, Chelsea uh, in, the, in the Champions League. If you watch that first half, we were unplayable. If you watch the second half, I think my, my son could have played against us that second half. We just collapsed physically, dead. We couldn't, I remember that day, I wanted to make some move, only my eyes were moving. There's nothing I could do, that's how I was. We collapsed and full credit to Chelsea, don't get me wrong. They deserve their win and that's not what I'm saying. But uh, we collapsed, and that's how it was. Could we have done better? Yes, I, I think we could have done better. But I'm thinking about that, uh, you know, about it, about um, about it. Sorry, every every time, every year it was the same. We could have done better. If you ask me about Barcelona, could we have done it better? Even if it was a treble, I will tell you the same thing. We could have done it better. Which is some statement because that 2019, and I'm not just saying this because you're on this podcast, Thierry, that Barcelona 2019, without question in my lifetime, is the best club side that I've ever seen. It was remarkable. Nine, you mean 2009? The nine teams better than 11, in my opinion. The nine team, you think? 
Yeah, Thank I do. You. I really do. I think the nine team was. Uh, I really do. I think the nine team. I think Fergie called it the passing carousel when you had Iniesta, Xavi, and then of course the front three. It, it is. It is something that I will share with you. That that day, remember, our whole back line was injured. Puyol played right back. Silvino hardly played all season. Played left back. Yaya Toure played centre back. Busquets was a young Busquets. Now people say, oh, you had Busquets, but he hardly played any game at that time. I was injured. I played, I trained four days before the final without playing a game in a month. Iniesta couldn't sprint. I couldn't sprint and bend my knees. So we were not, we were not that confident before the game. But you know what saves you? And this is what saves, not saves, but this is why Pep is so good. We were sure about our structure. We were sure about our tactic. And I went on the field for the first time in my life. When you play in that team, you don't need to run. Ball is running. Ball is moving. So you go in the game, the team will make you win, not individuals. Eventually, understand me well, individuals are going to make a difference. But we went there as, okay, we are hurt as a team. We lose, some people were at red card, I'd be at the red card. Some guys were injured. Uh, some guy played injured, me and Andres Iniesta. But we were so sure about how the, our game plan and how we used to play. And the ball is always faster than the player. Ball is always faster than the player. And then we, 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 we manage. That's why Pep is great, because you look at this year, the team makes a difference. Whoever plays in that team, they, they, they didn't have the Bruno for a little while. They didn't have a girl all season. Jesus is not a goal-scoring machine they still win because they don't live and die by individuals. They live and die with the team. Thierry, just on Pep, is it true that the Gladiator-inspired video before that 2009, you're nodding there, so that would suggest it is true. Uh, I mean, because I'm fascinated by Pep, and, and I know Rob is as well. Talk us through, give us some anecdotes, if you can, and you're, you're very eloquent in the way that you describe things. The genius of Pep, in your own words, where does it stem from? You know what? It's very difficult to understand in genius. You have to let them be. Because if you actually enter his head, I don't know. I don't know if you can you can cope with what you're gonna see. <laughs> uh, I think sometimes Pep is that good that he he actually sees too many things that he wants to rectify at the same time or, or unlock at the same time, and he's he's he just sees too he sees too much. But for me, is the way that he sees what's gonna happen in the game before the game and he happens in the game. And his ability to make you understand what is required to win as a team, this, that has no, is, is priceless. You know, I, so many times, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you have, okay, we all have big egos. And when you play as a player, when you take the team that he had or the team that he has, all the guys individually are big guns in their, in their, in their, in their country. But how do you make sure that you make those guys understand what he wants, obviously, for the good of the team, when those guys were individually all-stars or are individually all-stars, but they're all at the service of the team? Uh, don't get me wrong. After, if we go into details and the, and the tactic and, and, and how it will, it will make sure that it will always, with two players, uh, ping your back line, sometimes with three, ping five, so it's, it's a game of chase. It's always want to outnumber you uh, with an overload. So, and then obviously when you possess the ball and you stay higher. What I like with Pep is people do not mention, and I used to say it as a player, 
his teams don't concede goals. They always talk about that his team score goals, but his team don't concede goals. It is the first time in my life that I enjoyed putting pressure on a team because I knew my team was with me. The guys are five meters behind me. We can stay here all day. You know, I, the ref used to blow the whistle sometimes. I was like, oh, already 90 minutes? I was like, oh, I didn't even realize. When you, when you enjoy yourself, you don't, the time, you know, when you're young, you remember when you were young and your mom calls you and you're like, oh, I've been outside for three hours. I didn't realize. It's when the tactic is boring that you realize the game is boring. And even you don't have the time to realize what's happening. You're enjoying yourself. What, what strikes me with him and I love is the intensity. You watch, the other day I watched a game of Man City, Phil Foden, they were free nil up somewhere, I think, in the cup at Everton. I think minute 93rd, they gave him a ball through. He miscontrolled it with his right foot. He was upset. The team was upset. They chased the ball straight away. You're free nil up, minute 93. And some people tell me, guys are tired. I see Man City, they run everywhere from the first minute till the end. Yeah, he does rotate, but it can be 3 nil, 4 nil, 5 nil. He always used to say, respect the game. The best way you can respect the team is to play properly up until the end. And they will always respect you. If, if, if it's 15 nil, it's 15 nil. But do not disrespect the game by starting to do some showboating, back heel, and stuff like that. Play the game the proper way, like you want to win it from the first minute till the end. Because people are watching us. We are, you used to say, this is, this is okay. I'll give you one thing. Before the game, this is exactly what he said. Okay, we showed, he showed us the gladiator video that could have killed us by the way because it was too emotional that's why i think the first the first two minutes we were i think we were still i thought i was i was i was in a movie i was like i'm still i'm still in the dressing room but this is what he said he said that at the end of the day listen no matter what happened today we have to stay true to our principle and who we are i want people at the end of the game to say that Barca team can play football he never talked about we must win, with, uh, with, uh, come on. That's all he said. He said, I want people at the end of the game to say that we can play football. Do not lose who we are. Listen, it, that's for me right there is Pep. It's about, it's about how the team plays. And I know sometimes for, for some of the journalists, you know when he says at the end of the game after a defeat and he says, uh, I have nothing to say against my team. They did exactly what I asked them to do. They played well, but we didn't win. You know, people are like, oh, he's trying to hide behind the fact that they lost. No, no, no. And sometimes also he wins and he's not happy with his team because they didn't match the level of who they are. This is very important and people have to respect that. I did respect that. I understood it. And thankfully, we won't like that. But uh, what a coach is. Just a, a couple of more questions from um, from myself, pal. So, from a management point of view, obviously, you've just left Montreal, obviously for family reasons. We are, we all know the reason why. Uh, just a, a bit of a loaded question here: Are you keen to get back into management as quickly as possible? And what is what is your end goal for you know, for you, for your style and your 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 career as a manager? What what do, you, what, do you, what type of manager do you want to be? Well, I'm learning. I'm learning. Uh, you know, if you see my first training session and you see me training now, I've, I've changed. Uh, I like my team uh, to put pressure and uh, play out from the back. People misunderstand the playing out from the back. You don't have to always play short out from the back. You can play a long ball, a long pass out from the back. But players need to have option to make sure that they can play short 
or long. This is why it's difficult to play City because when you overpress them, Ederson plays a long pass. And when you don't, because he made you aware that he can play a long pass, then they play short. Anyway, choose your poison, basically. Um, but, you know, I, I, yes, I want to go back to the game as quick as possible. Uh, but there is something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware of, you know, it, it will be because I never had the opportunity to, to, you know, when I went to Monaco, I arrived with a team that was struggling, 1,700 players, and the struggle that the team had, you know, is it, it, great when you arrive at the beginning of the season also to, to, to bring your players and, and, uh, and have the time, obviously, to prepare the season. Uh, but having said that, you know, people, someone asked me the other day, you, will you be scared to start in the, in the championship or whatever? I said, scared of what? I went to the MLS. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Things happen because of COVID and the situation that we're in. It's a, it's a, it's a different topic. But uh, I'm nobody as a coach. I'm trying to learn. Whatever I did as a player doesn't count anymore. I know that. I understand that. I told you before, guys, you need to put your ego on the side. I understood that also. And make sure that you can teach those guys and uh, sorry, teach them how, how you want to play and how you want to evolve. Whatever it's going to be, it doesn't matter as long as your, the project looks great. Uh, and even when it looks great, you never know where it can go because that depends on if you win, if you don't win. As you, as you know, guys, the most important thing, you don't bring uh, the, the, the three points more often than not, you are going to be in trouble. But um, for me, the most important thing is the project has to be the right one, not necessarily where and, and which division. Thierry, I look at when we've had Stephen Gerrard on this show, there's a certain club up my neck of the woods in Celtic Football Club is the CVN up there? Listen, I, with all humility, uh, whatever is going to come my way, I'm not saying that should come my way. Understand me well. Uh, whatever is going to come my way, I'm going to try to evaluate. Uh, I'm sure they, they, they're going to work on what they need to work on. I'm just trying to be the coach that I'm trying to be. I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening there. Uh, this is actually a club that I respect a lot, uh, like I'm sure a lot of people in the world. Uh, but that I don't know. I don't know about. All I know is I want to coach. I want to be out there, go back out there. And, and by the way, what Stevie G done is just ridiculous. Um, what a man! I mean, I knew he was going to deliver. Uh, what I like also, let's let's all be honest with how great he can be. They gave him time. They gave him time to to build a team, to go and grab the players that he wanted to make sure that they were going to play. You know. When he got Stephen Davis, everyone went, what? He went, he went to get Davis for a reason, to stabilize that midfield in games, you know, and then have some fresh leg in and around. But I, I love the fact that they gave him time to be able to catch Celtic. Because if not, how are you going to, it's not going to happen in one season, two season. Now it happened. But to go back to what you asked me, this is not up to me. You know, uh, it's, 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 uh, I have massive respect for, for both clubs, by the way. Uh, but I'm just trying to learn. Like I said to you, I'm available. I don't know what's going to come my way, but I want to coach for sure. 
It's massive respect, and, and Robbie knows this, and I've said it to him time and time again. Massive respect to both of you. Robbie went to Australia, current manager of East Bengal and India. You've gone to the MLS. You're stepping out of your comfort zones. You're not resting on your egos. You're not resting on your laurels. And I say this to both of you. It's not to embarrass you both, but you're willing to take a risk in order to prove yourselves because you do start all over again. Forget what you did as players. You're starting over again uh, as coaches. And, and Robbie said on, on this podcast before, Fortieri, not afraid to reach out to people, not afraid to learn from different people. Are you likewise? I mean, Pep, I know Marcelo Bielsa, he went over to his Argentine ranch for a couple of days and they just talked football. Do you speak to Pep? Do you speak to Arsene? Do you seek out information from different men and women in football? Whenever, whenever I can speak to whoever that has done it, that has been in the game for a long time. Like I said, you mentioned starting over again. I'm not starting over again, I'm starting. Yeah. It's two different life. I'm starting, and and uh, ultimately you got to learn. You know, you don't know everything. Um, which one thing was very difficult, for example, with COVID, I couldn't phone anybody because no one dealt with COVID before. No one dealt with. We played all our almost our games away from home. I quarantined 170 days last year. Not all together, but if you count them all, 170 days. Who has done that before? Who, who, could have talked to about it. We played all our games away from home. It's like if I said to you, you take Liverpool now and all their games are in Poland. And the whole club goes there and you play in Poland, you don't go back home. Because if you go back home, you're in quarantine, you can't train. So how do you deal with that? Who I call? Who do I call for that? Who dealt with that before? Nobody. Do you understand what I mean? You, 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 so you have to learn. And you have to be the rock of everybody, deal with the problem. And then Robbie will tell you, you start to lose game, games al- along the way while you're awake. Going in preseason, Robbie will tell you, going in preseason already, you pass the, that 10th that day in preseason. Even, even if I used to like my teammates, I don't want to see them anymore. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. If he, even if it was my dad, 10 days with my dad, nonstop. No, I love him, but, uh, you know, I'll be like, hey, I'm, so just imagine when you're stuck somewhere for two months, nonstop, or uh, uh, you have to come back. But that, the, the dilemma that I had last year was it was this: if we if I bring them back to see their family in Montreal, we're not allowed to train. If I stay there, uh, then they don't see their family. And so at the, you need to make the playoff. Players are injured. The normal why I'm not playing why we're playing that way and these guys, you know, and personal issues. This is something that that was unprecedented, unprecedented, sorry. And uh, you, how do you deal with that? Who do you call at that moment? Because no one dealt, dealt with that. But don't get me wrong, whenever I can, you know, learn or hear about someone, it doesn't matter if the coach is a coach in League One, League Two, non-league. You coach longer than me, I'm listening. And even if you didn't coach longer than me, because we can always help each other. It doesn't matter. You know, people always have a view of something that you didn't have. And that's the beauty of the game. That doesn't mean you're going to like it, accept it. You might not take it. You might change it to what you like and how you like to coach and what you see in your game. Um, but that's important. It's important to understand that, like I said to you, you're starting. I'm learning. I haven't done anything. I was well aware of it when I was a player. The same when I arrived at Arsenal. As much as I was a world champion, world champion is national team, and that was with France. I haven't, I didn't do anything with Arsenal yet. 
So it wasn't me to impress them, to make sure that I can show them I can win something with them. And that's the way, that's the way it is. Well, you're back in the Sky Sports studios now, and that's going to remain that way until someone gives you a call to say, we want you back in the dugout. Is that right? No, not at all. I just, uh, I went there as a guest. Ah. It was nice. I went there as a guest, being with, uh, with Jamie. Uh, I liked it. You know, what's not to like? You talk about the game. You have, t- you have time to talk about the game. You can have a go at Jimmy Carragher. It's just, just, just amazing. <laughs> no, no, really. It was great. It was great, but there's nothing. It was just, I was just there as a guest. Brilliant. So the, the message is there's a job out there for you. If anyone's listening to this and wants to get in touch with Thierry, Robbie's got his email address and we'll send that over. <laughs> Thierry, thanks very much, pal. Uh, good luck in, uh, in your future career. Good luck in your manager. I'm sure you'll go a long way, pal. Thank you, you two guys. Top stuff. Have a good one. Thanks, Thierry. Thank you, Thierry. The Robbie Fowler Academy is the award-winning leading college for football and academic education. You can find out more at the official website, robbiefowleracademy.co.uk. Terry Henry, Robbie Fowler, a hero of yours, and you love that man a lot more now, I think, after the kind things he said. Yeah, I think he speaks a lot of sense, Chris. He always has done. Uh, it's interesting there what you just said, what you're saying there about how hard it was in the uh, in the bubble. Now I I know exactly where he's coming from. Um, I mean I've just done five months in India where uh, I mean we were in that bubble. Uh, we left the uh, the hotel for uh, for training and for games, and that was the only time we. So we we were essentially uh, I mean, locked up is probably the wrong phrase, but. We, we we did it um, and you know the, the mental has, aspect of doing what we did uh, it, it is unprecedented you know you can't speak to anyone uh, you've just got to go with it and yet some people sit there and 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 judge you and you know and we'll, we'll have goals at you and, and criticise you and do everything they can uh, but yeah the fact of the matter is we, uh, we were in that bubble for five months and it was extremely difficult so I, I know exactly where he's coming from I really do you know, people don't know that. And listen, and I've said this to you before. I've said it to to you before. Massive respect for that, Rob. Because listen, without naming names, there are, there are a lot of former footballers, would be coaches, who who feel that they deserve a chance without putting in the hard yards. And and there you go, over to India, away from family, away from friends for five months. And and listen, there'll be people that say, oh, you know, that they're paid handsomely to do that. But you're human beings at the end of the day. And as you know, and I know the existence that you lived over there for five months yes you're there and you're paid to do a job but it's not easy for anyone and on that point how have you found it then returning to the UK has that been a bit of a of a strange transition heading home to the family yes because obviously we, we you bear in mind we've gone from being, being non-stop football um you know 24 7 uh it's all of a sudden being at home and you 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 with your family and obviously it's you, you would never swap that for anything uh, but it's uh, it's different to what we've been doing, and all of a sudden you're going from one extreme to the other. Whereas you just sat here and okay, there's, there'll be football on the television, uh, but it's 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 a totally different lifestyle now to what it was when you football. Are you champing at the bit, Rob? Yeah, of course, uh, of it course. Is. And, and, are you champing? and as I mean, you know, I'm obviously got to at- the uh, do the year in uh, East Bengal to look forward to. Uh, obviously, don't really know what's happening in terms of uh, the club. Um, you know, the, the club's old owners, sorry, the club's new owners have got a few problems with the old owners. Obviously, I can't go into it too much, but um, hopefully that will be um, fixed within the next uh, week or two, maybe. Well, I'm saying week or two, maybe four or five weeks it, it might take. So, uh, yeah, I've just got to hang on and uh, an old fire t- an old fire till then. So, uh, But my, my plan is to do that. 
Uh, but you know, I'm I'm gauged from uh, you know what the um, this uh, this new club uh, their plans are. You know what they want to do. When you listen to to someone as articulate as Thierry, and, and there he is, you know, heading over to the MLS with Montreal, you've done likewise. You went to Brisbane. You've went, of course, down to uh, East Bengal. You've got another year there. Has anyone reached out to you? Have any would-be coaches? reached out, whether by text, WhatsApp, phone call, to, to ask you about your experiences, because that intrigues me. You guys are you're not quite trailblazers. I appreciate a lot of people have moved abroad to, to cut their managerial teeth, but I'd be intrigued. Any, anyone that in your social circle who have taken a real interest in the route you've taken? Uh, look, I've had plenty of conversations, yeah, don't get me wrong, but no one's actually phoned me up you know, predominantly just for that. You know, People we've spoken, we've had conversations, of course, People still think I'm an inexperienced manager. I mean, I've managed in three countries now. Yeah. So, you know, it's okay. I'm, I mean, I might be a little bit new to it per se, but uh, I mean, three countries managing is, for me, that's that's border, bordering on the uh, the experience. So, you know, again, what Terry, Terry was saying there, um, of course, we're still learning all the time. You know, and if you were to sit with a you know Jurgen Klopp with a Pep Guardiola now I'm again I'm not putting myself in in their category but they'll be learning every day so you know you were the same as a play you know you you were learning every single minute of every single tra- training session uh, and it's the same with as as a manager so regardless of where you are or where you've been or where you're gonna go to you still want to be better uh, and every day is a learning day. Um, obviously, you have phone calls. You mentioned yourself with with various other managers, various other players, uh, and you know as much as they'll try and get a little bit of info off you, you want info off them as well. So you, you are forever, forever learning. Yeah. Well, listen, we're always learning. Uh, and episode twelve of the eponymous Robbie Fowler podcast is in the can. Thierry Henry, what a get that was, Robert, and a lot of mutual respect, a lot of love. I think Thierry's a massive. Robbie Fowler fan. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, I, uh, I we we did swap shirts once. So, uh, <laughs> ah, did you? Yeah, we did. Ah, uh, do you still have the Thierry on your shirt? I've, the... I've got the shirts upstairs. Yeah. And tell me, are you a framer of shirts? No, no I'm not. I didn't think no. you were. Of course you were. No, I. Uh, I to be fair, I get a little bit of stick actually from uh, obviously my, my 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 wife, my better half, and and the kids for for not having anything on show. I've got a load of shirts and they're all in some sort of uh, basket upstairs. <laughs> now that's not again. That's not being derogatory to any players or. No. But it's just that I'm I'm very. I mean, what's the word? I'm very unmaterialistic, shall I say? Yeah, I, fair. I, I, or or, or, or But I uh, I've got obviously family friends who come round and uh, and they say I should have a lot and lot on show. But I, I don't. I actually don't know if I've got anything that. I actually don't know if if people are interested, and I, that's oh, come I, on. That, I, that's just me being me. You know, that's the, the type of person I am. You know, I, I'm. Oh, I think there's a lot of people interested. You've just said us. You've got a Thierry Henry shirt. You've probably got a Ronaldo nine shirt up there as well. And please tell me they're at least folded in the basket. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're folded. Yeah, Good. in a, in an airtight Good. container. When I said basket, <laughs> I was uh, probably just uh, adding a little ten pence story. <laughs> You're doing a Neil Ruddick <laughs> is what you are. At least you're not at least you're not defecating in, in oh, Episode thirteen next week. We've been talking a lot of coaching this week without revealing too much. We're gonna be doing a bit more of that next week as well, I think. Fingers crossed. We uh, yeah, again we have got another we've got another cracker. 
Yes, we <laughs> That's do. all I can well say. Said. I, 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 actually, I mean, actually, you know what? People will sort of think of that. Well, is that a little bit of a, a clue to the next no. guest? I, no, it's not, is it? It's absolutely not. No, it isn't. I mean, we'll, we'll, prob- we'll probably find one if you want. But uh, yeah. No, well, he's a, I'll find you one straight off the bat. He's a technical cracker. It's what <laughs> this guest is. Hopefully. Yeah, well, go on. Hopefully. We'll have that. So, so when I said it's a cracker then, it was maybe a little bit of a into of a clue then. <laughs> Listen, I'm looking forward to it. It's been a great episode, even if I do say so myself. Thierry Henry, fantastic. Big thanks to you, Rob, of course, for sorting that out as well. And I'm looking forward to being back here with you to do it again next week. There will be further podcast available and all your usual haunts, of course, all your podcast haunts. Do give us a subscribe there. Give us a rating as well. Make it a five-star star one as well if you can and of course you can check us out the YouTube channel the Robbie Fowler podcast you can watch all of our interviews up on there from Jurgen Klopp Stephen Gerrard Paul Scholes Maka John Barnes Ian Rush Sir King Kenny Graham Sunes Joey Barton and now Thierry Henry it's the Prince top man Rob this has been the Robbie Fowler podcast powered by McDonald's Hear it again and more of our podcasts at Dubaii1038.com.